Good morning, Veritas. Good morning, church. I'm glad you're here. So glad you're here. I am eager to keep uh, the theme of singing going because we're going to encounter a beautiful song actually today in our study of Revelation. But before we dive into um, our, our journey through the book of Revelation, by the way, my name's Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if we've not yet met, I look forward to meeting you and, and welcome. Welcome to our church and welcome to this, this incredible journey we're on. If, if, if it's your first time, this is what we do. We grab a book of the Bible and start working our way through. We're actually doing the very last book of the Bible right now, the book of Revelation. And it has been, well, just for me, it's been an astounding journey. I feel like I'm reading it for the first time in so many ways. And uh, I, I'm glad to welcome you into that journey. Before we dive in, though, uh, a couple quick things. One is that it's, it's not very long, and we're going to be filling this place with worship for the risen Jesus Christ. Uh, it's the whole theme of, of Revelation, right, that this lamb has risen again, and now he's king, and we're going we're gonna to fill this place as we, as we worship Jesus on, on resurrection morning, Easter morning. We also have a Good Friday service, so we're just putting this up there so that you can see the, the times so that you can already begin to prepare to actually celebrate the death of Jesus. It's appropriate that we both celebrate what he did in dying for us and then, again, celebrating his resurrection. But along with that, we're having baptisms. So if you are a follower of Christ and you've not yet given that, that sign to God primarily, but also to all who want to cheer you on, uh, it's your opportunity to be baptized. What greater day to be baptized than on Easter morning, right? So make sure that you, you get signed up right off because we want to we want to celebrate with you on that day so okay let's let's open our bibles let's get to work here um revelation 14 is where we're going to begin our journey today but just as a recap if you were here last week or were able to get caught up with what mark brought us from chapter 13 chapter 13 ends with a whole lot of deception going on i mean global deception is going on in chapter 13 with you know, a, a false lamb even, like this masquerade, this, this trickery of even a false lamb with all sorts of false uh, miracles and wonders going on to deceive, um, even a false resurrection that happens. I mean, this, this is how thick the deception is as we close out um, chapter 13, and, and we can't be shocked by that. Jesus himself warned us that this was exactly what was going to, to play out. I, I was looking back in Matthew 24. Here's what Jesus told us in some of his last words before the crucifixion. He says, For false messiahs, false prophets will arise, perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, just check this out, to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Take note, I've told you in advance. I'm letting you know this. He's saying, now it won't be possible because of my seal upon you, because I'm the one holding you. Thank God for the, the seal of God that, that not only brings us salvation, but keeps us saved. Because what he's saying is, it is so thick. This deception is so thick that even if it were possible for you to get duped and, and follow, the, you would. But I'm going I'm to keep you safe. I'm going to keep you safe. But that's how aware we need to be, right? So that's why he ends up by saying, look, I've told you in advance. Be ready. So the very last line of, of chapter 13 is, hey, this calls for wisdom. Man, I underlined and, and highlighted that. This calls for wisdom. Church, be aware. Lies, deceptions, 
things that seem so close to being true but are just shy of it, right? That is going to be just permeating the church. And he's saying, hey, this calls for wisdom. Just like Jesus had said, I've told you ahead of time, be ready. If possible, you'd even get tricked. That's how good this, this deception is going to be. All right, what I'm saying is, don't be lazy, Christian. Don't be lazy. Lean in. Let God's word awaken you. You should be on high alert right now because that's the world that we're living in. So today, it starts with, man, some glorious good news, a picture that is just remarkable. Chapter 14, then I looked, and just I highlighted that in my Bible too because every time you see that phrase, then I looked, um, that's one of the signs that we're, we're entering a new scene. It's almost as if um, God takes John's gaze and, you know, pushes his little chin. Like if you've got a little child, no, look over here. And you take their little face, look over here now, you know. So I was like, okay, now, oh, oh there's a whole new scene. So we're, we're going to see a whole new scene. That's how we ended chapter 13. But then I looked and it's like, oh, whoa, here's something new over here. And there was the lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. I heard a sound from heaven like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder. But th these are good sounds, right? Th this is like musical. Like it, it fills your soul with wonder because the sound I heard was like harpists pl playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders Oh, but no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who'd been redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who have not defiled themselves with women since they remained virgins. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were redeemed from humanity as the first fruits for God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Okay, just get caught up for a moment in the wonder of the description of those who are on the other side of the veil, who, who are the victors, who, who make it to the other side. He's, he's saying, I, I want to show you what that looks like. And, and so if you've got a Bible that you're okay with marking up, or if you've got one of our Revelation study guide things that you can mark up, I just want to go back and just hit highlight, just quick look through all these stacked up descriptions of what it looks like on the, on, on the other side. So first off, when he says, oh, there was the lamb, right? And then with him were all the redeemed. Just that phrase, I just, you guys, I just geeked out. I just started pondering and meditating. What is it like? We are with him. So you're riveted to the lamb and then surrounding him, all those that he has drawn to himself, they are with him. And so it just made me think of, of other words of Jesus. Do you remember back in John 14? Let me just read this for you. Back in John 14, he says, Oh, disheart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In fact, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? No, I'm not, I, I would never do that. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. I'm not going anywhere that I'm not going to take you to be with me. <laughs> and so there's the lamb and then with him. I love that, just with him. It's the elaborate wonder that we get to be there. And then he calls about the, the 144,000. Mark talked about this a couple of weeks ago, so just real quickly, where's that number coming from? Best guess we can come up with is maybe just kind of innumerable. In other words, you've got the 12 tribes of Israel, all the redeemed of the Old Testament, 
the 12 apostles taking the gospel out now. So the 12 times 12 is 144 times 1,000. And you got 144,000. Almost like just this unbelievable array of people who have been redeemed and are there to celebrate what the Lamb has done. And they sing, look at verse 3, a new song. They sang a new song. And this one is so cool. Because this is a song that only the redeemed get to sing. In other words, oh, elders on your thrones, angels. Actually, this isn't your song. You don't get to sing this one. Just the redeemed. So I was thinking, isn't it really fun when we get to sing a song that's been specially written for our church family? When one of these musicians writes a song for us. Remember when Lauren, one of my favorites, I say it all the time. But when Lauren, not, not that Lauren's my favorite, though that could be true too. But, but her song about Psalm 23. Because we, we encountered Psalm 23 and from that she wrote this song and now delivered it to us. And we all sing this song. Now we share it freely. Anybody else can sing that song. But that song was written for us, right? And so we sing it maybe a little bit more. Because like, yes, that came from our family. Or Here's what I'm saying. That's what's going on. The redeemed, all surrounding the Lamb, have a song that they get to learn, and nobody else gets to sing it. Because it, it, it's a song about our story and what he's done for us. It's incredible. That whole idea of not defile themselves with women, they remain virgins, that one might be the, the trickiest one. I do think we've got to look a little deeper than just what's on the surface there. We know it's not just men and men who are virgins because there are women populating heaven as well, right? I think this whole idea of defilement and all that comes through a theme that goes all the way through both Old and New Testaments, and that's this. Whenever somebody kind of sells out spiritually, often the, the phrase it uses, they prostituted themselves with a false god, right? They defiled themselves. Instead of saying true and pure to this commitment to their one true God, they defile themselves. They're in spiritual prostitution, it's, it's talked about. And that, that's going to be true, actually, in a couple of chapters where the prostitute is actually introduced even into the book of Revelation. So that, that's about all I'll say for today on that. But in other words, there's a purity to them. They are the redeemed from humanity. Look at that. They're redeemed from humanity, bought out from, from our the slave market of sin, and now I'm freed and I'm, I'm redeemed. He calls us the first fruits. Um, we are like the best of, right? In the Old Testament, whether you're talking about flocks or, you know, the grain that you have grown, the first fruits is the best of. And he says, these guys right here, this is the best of. It is pleasing to God. They're just being offered as the, the, the best ofs. It says, no lie was found in their mouths. Why? Because these people speak truth. These people are like Psalm 1. They meditate on the truth of the Lord day and night. It's, it's on their mouth. It's in their, in their mouth and on their lips. Like Psalm 119, in fact, God's word is like pure honey from the honeycomb. It, it's our delight. So there's no lies found in our mouths. Our, our mouths are filled with truth. And then that very last word, they are blameless. Blameless. Get this, when we get to the other side, you will actually be blameless. Now, that's hard to imagine right here, right now. All of us would say, oh, I'm, I'm not blameless in almost any category. I'm not blameless. But on the other side, when we're surrounding the lamb, guys, this is the Jesus, this is the lamb that in chapter 1 
we are told, right, that, that he's the one that has set us free from our sins by his blood. We are set free. This is the moment that we start shouting to each other, Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That one, the lamb, has taken away our sins, removed them as far as the east is from the west. They're not mine anymore. I'm freed from all of it. And so we stand there blameless, right? Look, I, I don't know where you're at right now in your spiritual walk, but if you're having just a hard time, maybe just the doldrums, maybe just a little bit of apathy, or maybe even guilty feelings or a heaviness in your soul. I think this week your assignment should be just to rehearse these opening verses from Revelation 14. And just fix your gaze on what he has done for us, what our future holds. It is glorious. As we, we should be worshiping over and over, just meditating on these words. Just, just keep stacking, underline, put all your exclamation points, use all sorts of colors, whatever you have to do to like drink in this incredible vision of what the future holds. It's, it's unbelievable. All right, this next section then, we come off this worship of the Lamb to some pretty heavy, some pretty heavy descriptions of also what's ahead on this planet before that gathering of all of us. Um, I think these are maybe some of the most important verses that we've come to, and there's been a lot of them, and maybe some of the hardest and there's been a lot of them. But I want to say hardest, not in the sense that they're hard to understand. It's hard to receive. It's hard to let it soak in. Some of the stuff that we're about to read. It's actually all about judgment. And I, I think the theme that I, I tried to whittle it down to a theme. I think the theme of this passage is it's a call to worship God for his judgment. I want that to kind of prepare your soul as we, it's not worship God in spite of his judgment. I'll worship him anyway, even though there's judgment. This is, we should be inspired to worship God because of his judgment. That's what I believe he's going to be teaching us. That's hard for us to embrace. I think this passage wants us to get there though. But I, I do want to say this before we, we dive into it. Um, there's a, a line by D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was an evangelist back in the Chicago area, actually all over the world, but he had a huge impact of, of sharing the gospel with people back in the 1800s. He said this, no one should ever preach on the topic of hell without tears in his eyes. Isn't that beautiful? I, I want us to have that in our minds as we go into these next verses. No one should preach on the topic of hell without tears in his eyes. There's a, a soberness that should happen as we look through these verses and maybe even some tears in our eyes as we reflect, reflect just on the, on the weight of what we're about to read. So we don't cheer this stuff. We embrace it, though. I think it does stoke our worship, but, but it's with a tear in our eyes. So the message comes to us in these three successive uh, messages from these angels. Okay, so here's the first angel is going to come and give us the first insight here, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying high overhead with the eternal gospel to announce to the inhabitants of the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. And he spoke with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come 
Worship the one who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Okay, here's a question I have to ask you guys on the front end. If this is the eternal gospel, if this angel is truly going to every soul on the planet with the gospel, the good news, what do you find glaringly absent from his gospel presentation? If this is the gospel, what is glaringly, when you think, what is the gospel, what is he missing? Okay, I'm not going to hold you in suspense. It's just one word. Okay, Jesus. <laughs> right, Jesus. How can we imagine a gospel that doesn't have Jesus as the centerpiece? Well, I want to set your hearts at ease. Uh, you can't read through the book of Revelation and miss the fact that Jesus is at the epicenter of the gospel, right? He's introduced to us in the opening pages as the Lamb of God turned king, like the resurrection, all of it. It is all about Jesus, 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 Jesus. So there is no gospel apart from Jesus Christ. Don't imagine that this angel is sending heresy around the world. But I also want you to know that what this angel is true, and it is gospel, because there is no gospel if there's not a recognition of God as creator and God as judge. Okay? There is no gospel if we don't first recognize and embrace that there is a God, there's a creator God, and that he is coming as judge. I, I, I've got, hopefully, a story that might help this. If, we, if you and I were in a building, call it the fifth floor of a building, okay? And if all of a sudden I came up to you and said, you know what I think you should do? Hey, Jameson, here's what I think you should do. I think you should jump out that window. Jameson would be like, dude, I'm not jumping. We're on a five-story building. I'm not jumping out of that window, right? Be ridiculous. But if instead I came up to you and said, listen, there's a fire raging on this floor, and within about 10 to 20 seconds, it's going to come through that wall and through those doors, and we will certainly die. But I'm asking you to jump through that window, and it might be the scariest thing you've ever done, and you might even get hurt, but there's a rescue squad on the bottom, and I promise you'll be saved. I promise you your life will be saved if you jump out that window. Well, now we've got a whole nother story, don't we? <laughs> All of a sudden, you're like, on it, rah, you know, you're jumping, right? You're jumping through, through that window. It might be the scariest thing you've ever done. You might even get hurt, but you're spared, right? Guys, the same thing is true of the gospel. We don't peddle a gospel that goes around saying, oh, do you want something more fulfilling in your life? Oh, you should come to Jesus because it will make you so happy, we don't, we don't peddle a gospel that just says, you'll have your best life now if you just believe in Jesus. Because if people believe that gospel, they will quickly fall away from Jesus. From whatever they got converted to, if that's the gospel that you're peddling, then they wake up the next morning and they realize, oh man, my life isn't better now. In fact, in a lot of ways, it's worse. Man, all of a sudden I've got enemies of people that I thought were my friends, and I've got all sorts of discord. I'm not leaving, leading my best life now at all. Jesus has made my life more complicated. I'm getting hurt by following Jesus, right? We don't encourage people to follow Jesus because it's so good or happy. It's because there's a judgment to come out of fear of God in this gospel. They should come to know Jesus. 
and be rescued. So it, it, it made me think of my own story, and may, maybe you've heard of my own story, but when I was up at UNI as a, an unbeliever, John from down the hall, I tried to borrow his ID so I could go bar hopping, and I wasn't old enough, so I wanted to borrow his ID, and so he's like, well, I don't really want to give you my ID, but can we talk about something else? So we're walking around campus as he's talking to me about Jesus, right? So he takes that opportunity, a little <clears throat> bait and switch there, and now all of a sudden we're having a conversation about Jesus instead of bars. And as, as we're talking, though, he said to me, he goes, uh, Jeff, do you think you're a Christian? I said, oh, totally I'm a Christian, right? He goes, so if you were to die right now and stand before God, why would he let you into heaven? I'm like, oh, dude, I got baptized when I was a baby. I got confirmed. Dude, I was an acolyte, right? And so I start going through this little pedigree of why I'm such a Christian. Like, and I really believed it. All this stuff really counted. Like, oh, dude, I'm in, right? And he said, well, would you mind if I shared with you some of the things I've seen in your life since we've been living down the hall from each other? And started ratcheting off all the sins that he has seen me commit since we've been living. This is a gutsy guy, right? And he didn't know the half of it, right? Had he known me better, like there would have been a way bigger list. And that's when he started saying, but that's why Jesus died. Is because of your sin. It was the first time, for whatever reason, that I ever recognize, A, that I'm a sinner, that I'm going to stand before the judge and king of the universe, and I'm guilty. And that that's why Jesus Christ died on the cross, was for people like me. And that first night I ever heard, I, I believed, right? What I'm saying is, we have to take this message, this eternal gospel, to a world that needs Jesus. But before they get to the Jesus part, they need to know there's a creator God that's given them life and breath and everything else, and they will stand before him. And right now, as it stands right now, guilty. Guilty is charged, right? So that's the eternal gospel that first goes out. Now let's look at the second angel. The second angel now comes, and it says, verse 8, and, and another, a second angel, followed, saying, it has fallen. Babylon the great has fallen. She made all the nations drink the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. Okay, second angel just gets one verse, but what's this idea of Babylon? Well, Babylon is figuratively the evil world empire, okay, kind of the capital city of godlessness, a world without God, Babylon, okay. Uh, St. Augustine called it the city of man, like a, a city of people without God, right? Because here's the deal, by the time Revelation is written, by, by the time John is, is taking all this down, the actual historic city of Babylon has long ago passed away and is desolate. It's a little village by this point in history, okay? It had been decimated, just nothing left of it. So he's obviously not talking about Babylon as we might think of this big, enormous city because it didn't actually exist. So in John's day, maybe Babylon would have been Rome or maybe Corinth or some other big city that kind of represented like all the, the worst of, of humanity. So... Tonight, there's this awards ceremony going on. The movie awards, the Oscars are going on tonight. I don't know if you follow any of that, but there's one movie that's up for several different awards. What's the name of that movie? Babylon. <laughs> Babylon. Why Babylon? Why does this name continue to mean not just in John's day, but all, all the way to this day? What, what does that mean? Well, here's the description from the movie producers about the movie. It says this. A tale of outsized ambition and outrageous excess. It traces the rise and fall of multiple characters during an era of unbridled decadence and depravity 
in early Hollywood. So when they were looking around for a good name to describe that scene, what word did they come up with? Babylon, right? So what I'm trying to say is, um, I'm not raining down judgment if you've seen Babylon. Okay. Anyway, uh, we're not going to go. What I am saying is Babylon just ends up becoming synonymous with this, unbridled decadence and depravity, like at its worst, okay? So why Babylon? Why did that name all the way back then, centuries after the real Babylon had fallen, still, you know, kind of conjures up all that? And why all the way to this day where we got movie producers calling it Babylon? Why? Well, because Babylon the Great, even as it's called here, was the global city. In fact, its very name means gate of the gods. That's what Babylon means, gate of the gods. So it was this epic kind of destination place. Like if you really want to be at the, at the apex of humanity, go to Babylon and, and see it all. That's where Nebuchadnezzar that we're introduced to in our, in our Bibles in the Old Testament. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, actually to impress his wife, created the Hanging Gardens. You've heard of that Hanging Gardens of Babylon, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. So this place was just incredible with its technology, with the arts, but also with power. So powerful that they started destroying every other nation around them. Even coming into the pages of our Old Testament, they even took God's people, conquered God's people, hauled a bunch of them off into captivity. That's how strong and seemingly powerful and, and, and uh, you know, there is not its like in the world like, like Babylon. So, but here's the deal. It's riches, it's pride, it's power, and especially it's sexual immorality. That's what he brings up here. It's sexual immorality became its downfall. Now, why sexual immorality and the downfall? Because we all know wherever sexual immorality is rampant, the landscape is littered with victims. It is treacherous. There's a high cost to be paid by humankind when sexual immorality is at its apex, right? So there are just victims everywhere because of the sexual immorality that's allowed to go on. And so when Babylon, historic Babylon, fell all the victims of the earth from all the nations that had been come in to be just taken advantage of and trampled on, there was a celebration when Babylon fell, right? When ancient Babylon fell, it was like, finally, finally, because, guys, it is always, always right when evil gets crushed. It is always appropriate for righteous people to be glad when unrighteousness, when, when victimization fails, right? Guys, just a few years ago, do you remember when Larry Nasser was finally indicted for all the atrocities, all the sexual exploitation that he had done for all those girls? And when Rachel Den Hollander and all the others, you know, stood at, at his, you know, sentencing and, and spoke to him, everybody, you, you, what was your response? What was mine? Yes, it is good and right that the bad guy is getting what he deserves, right? We, we, we celebrate the fact that victims are able to say, finally, finally, justice is being done, right? And so that's what this angel is going right. It is always good when justice comes down, when righteousness finally comes to the surface after all this darkness. All right, let's get to the third angel here. And by the way, lest we think that sexual immorality kind of goes unchecked, right? 
sexual immorality brings wrath. Man. The third angel followed him. Verse 9. And spoke with a loud voice. If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is poured full strength into the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or anyone who receives the mark of its name. I'm, I'm going to stop the reading right there. Just, just This is maybe the most sobering of all. But I just, I just want to hit three observations of what we're seeing go on here. Okay, there's more, but I at least want to point us to some observations here. And the first one is this, is we are all marked. There is no neutral ground. There is no Switzerland. There is no, oh, I'm not on this side or that side. I, I'm just in the middle. I'm just neutral. There is no neutral. Neutral. So in this chapter, what we're seeing is you are either marked with the mark of the beast or you're marked with Jesus and the Father written on your forehead. It's one or the other. There is no neutral ground. There's nobody with a blank forehead, okay? Symbolically, there's nobody with a blank forehead. You are either have the mark of the beast. In other words, you fall in love with this world. You fall in love with Babylon. You're just a good, good citizen of Babylon, right? Now, you don't have to be the worst of them. You don't have to be one of the most treacherous citizens in Babylon, but you're just happy to carry on. You're just happy to go on like in, in the last chapter. You exchange goods. You, you carry on. You're just a happy, content citizen of Babylon. Oh, you want me to worship that? Oh, okay, I'll worship it. Oh, I'm supposed to believe this? Oh, okay, I'll believe that. Whatever. You just carry on, right? But you remain. You, you play along. You're just one of them. And in fact, you're entertained by the things they're entertained by. You're, you're caught up in the same lies that, that, that everybody else is. And you're just not along, play along, whatever. You might have reservations here and there, but you're like, no, I just want to stay, stay in, the, in the crowd, right? You might even laugh at the idea of judgment. Oh, you know. So you either have the mark of the beast or you have the mark of the lamb. Remember the very first verse that we looked at, 14.1, is those that are the redeemed... They have the mark of Jesus on their forehead. They have the mark of the Father. So you either have the mark of the beast or you have the mark of the Lamb. There is no middle ground. You're either sealed and protected and identified as a follower of Jesus. We looked at those verses. Describing those who follow Jesus or you are a good citizen of Babylon. But don't, don't pretend that there's a middle ground. That you're ambivalent. And maybe you're good because nobody's going to hate on the Swiss, right? The second sobering reality is God's wrath is real. Now you say, man, that sounds pretty straightforward. Do you have to say that out loud? I, th I think I do. God's wrath is real. Those who remain good citizens of Babylon and refuse the mark of the Lamb... Look what's described here. They receive the full strength. Look at verse 10 again. He will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his anger. So in the first century, rarely did you have full strength wine. It was almost always diluted. 
maybe, maybe even one-to-one water. Because a lot of times the wine was put in the water just to sanitize the water because otherwise it would make you sick. So sometimes it went all the way to one-to-ten, one-point wine to nine, nine point, you know, one-to-ten. So what he's saying here, God's wrath, undiluted. Don't imagine that you're going to get, you know, a, a little easier go or whatever. No, this is, if you're going to stay in Babylon, if you're going to follow the beast instead of Christ, you will receive the full strength of God's wrath. And there's one thing that virtually every citizen of Babylon believes. One thing that they all hold in common. Babylonians actually don't think that they'll be judged. They don't think they'll be judged. That's true of Babylonians today. But this takes us back. Do you know what the very first uh, temptation that came into the ears of humanity was? It's where Satan said to Eve, oh, you'll not surely die. Like the very first lie uttered into the ears of humanity that took us all down was Satan saying, you're not going to die. That lie has been so effective that it has rippled through the ages. And even now to this day, what people want to believe is, no, you'll, you'll not surely die. God's wrath is real. The gospel is real. The gospel is seeking to help you escape the death that is surely yours. God's wrath is real. Very last thing. Man, here it is. It is not Satan that we should fear. It's Jesus. It's not Satan that you should be afraid of. It's Jesus. That starts right from the very first angel's voice. Say, oh, no, 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 you, you, you misunderstand Jesus. Jesus is the one who, who's going to love me no matter what, right? Haven't you read the Sermon on the Mount? Don't judge or you will be judged, right? That's the Jesus I know. No, 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 I'm, I'm good with Jesus. The people that say stuff like that, I don't know if they've read the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> because I just went back and re- reread the Sermon on the Mount, and, and here, here's some of the words that come from Jesus as he's wrapping up his Sermon on the Mount. Verse 7 of chapter 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. Right? So there's that invitation. Come, I want you to know me. For sure the eternal gospel goes out from Jesus. Please, come. But then he says this, But enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. There are many who go through it. Oh, how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life. And few find it. He's pulling no punches. Most people will not follow Jesus because they don't want to. They want to stay on the big wide road leading to Babylon, right? That's, that's the most comfortable. It's where everybody else is, right? Few there be that find it. He, he ends the sermon by saying, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, he's like a wise man built his house on a rock, because then the rain fell and the rivers rose and the winds blew and pounded that house. But it didn't collapse. Its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them is like the foolish man. He built his house on sand. And that rain fell and that river rose and the winds blew and pounded the house. And it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. The very last words of the Sermon on the Mount. It collapsed with a great crash. 
Jesus is saying, I am there. I'm opening the door. Come to me, right? But you have to come to me. You have to believe. You have to follow me. And so most say no. The idea that that Jesus wouldn't be the one to sentence us to destruction and wrath, when you look at 14 verse 10, look at that again. The full strength into the cup of his anger, he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb. Jesus is there, not taking delight in the destruction of the wicked, but certainly saying it is just and right and stands there. Now, Jesus was also the one before Jerusalem saying, oh, Jerusalem, why won't you come to me? I I keep pleading with you like a hen that wants to gather her chicks, but you would not. So there's a sobering reality. He's not taking joy in this, but it is true and right. And so he stands there as destruction goes out. Satan's not the one to fear. It's Jesus. So guys, how, how are we to respond to a text like this? Well, if you're a follower of Christ, he gives us Verse 12, this calls for endurance from the saints who keep God's commands and their faith in Jesus. Endure, right? Keep God's commands. Keep your faith in Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. It's going to get bad. It will be a blessing to die. Why? Because yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labors since their works will follow them. What are the works? that we're supposed to be accomplishing as we're waiting. for It's telling other people about Jesus. That's what we're supposed to be doing, right? And, and one day, when, when finally your voice is silenced, you will wake up and finally, ah, rest. But what's the work you're carrying on? Telling people, like Revelation 14, 6, the angel, getting the gospel out to all who still need to embrace Jesus and escape the wrath to come. And there's one other thing that we're supposed to be doing as we wait. And for this, I'm going to have you stand with me. We're going to close with this. Will you stand with me? I'm going to read the first part of chapter 15 because the other thing we're supposed to do is sing. It's worship. Revelation 15, then I saw another great and awe-inspiring sign in heaven. Seven angels with the last plagues, and with them God's wrath will be completed. And then he says, "Uh, but not yet. Because I also saw Something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And those who had won the victory over the beast, its image, and the number of its name, were standing on the sea of glass with harps from God. And they sang the song of God's servant Moses. And the song of the Lamb, oh, this song. Great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways. King of the nations, Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship before you because your righteous acts have been revealed. Amen and amen. Will you pray with me? Oh, Jesus, great and awe-inspiring are your works. Lamb of God. Lord, would the eternal gospel go out in this moment right now? Would you do that work of saving some who 
right now are citizens of Babylon just carrying on as if, as if there is no end. There is no judgment day. Oh, Lord, in this moment right now, would you pierce the calloused hearts of those who have rejected you to this point and bring them into your fold? Bring them into this song. And Lord, for all of us who know this song and have been redeemed and, and bear your name on our foreheads, oh, not only, Lord, help us to sing your song, but to sing your song to those who are yet to receive your grace, are yet to say yes, oh, Lord. Compel us even this week, Lord, to take the eternal gospel to so, so many. And when we get there one day on the other side, Lord, we're going to be surrounded with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, like people who have said yes to you, Jesus. We can't wait to get there, but we want more and more to jump in and join us. Oh, Lord, even now, would you fill this place with worship? We have songs to sing. And may it be as we sing that it is like an aroma pleasing in your sight as it kind of wafts up into your throne room. Oh, Lord, hear us as we sing to you, Lord Almighty, in Christ's name.